My name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill, and I know those of you who regularly come to the 9 a.m. service have kept coming to me and saying, Ellis, where, where have you been? Did you go back to England or something? We haven't seen you in, like, months. Well, I've been leading worship at our other two services, and we actually have a practice during the 9 a.m. service for the 1045 service, so it's hard for me to get here and see you guys, but I miss you all, and I'm glad to be back and glad to be sharing from God's Word with you this morning as we kick off a brand new sermon series. It's called Life on the Water. We are going to be thinking all this month about what it was like for Jesus, and uh, he lived his life on the water, and as I was preparing for this, I realized, you know what, I have pretty much my whole life lived in small communities on the water. I grew up in a, a little town called Marlow. It's about 30 miles west of London. A beautiful town right on the River Thames, which is the river that flows from, uh, through Oxford and through London. And actually this week, our senior pastor, Mark Toon, and his family got to go visit my family in my hometown. There's a photo Mark sent me of his wife, Cindy, and uh, kids, Cooper and Rachel there. Can you see how beautiful my hometown is? Isn't it amazing? Look at that bridge and that church. And um, yeah, it's, it's an awesome place. So right there on the water. But my memories of, of, the, of my hometown were perhaps a little bit more raucous than, uh, than that serene picture does justice to. At one time, a few friends and I, we uh, rented a couple of boats and we had a little bit of a laugh. And I had a video. I don't know if it's going to play. I was told it might or might not play. So we'll see. Yeah, it looks like it's not going to work. So it's, it, it's hilarious. It's, uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Thanks for laughing with me. Well, now I live in another small community on the water. Don't you love technology? Isn't that just a... Now I live in another small community on the water. Uh, and uh, as we were thinking about what we were going to preach this summer, we realized Jesus grew up, lived, and spent most of his ministry in small communities on the water. He didn't actually spend most of his time in the big city, down in Jerusalem, although yes, that was where he was eventually killed and came back to life, but he spent most of his time in small communities on the water, and specifically around a body of water called the Sea of Galilee, which was really a lake. They just called it a sea. That's up there in the north of the country, um, the, uh, north of the country of Israel. And Jesus, in these small communities, many of them were fishing villages like Capernaum or Bethsaida, did most of his work, most of his teaching, most of his healing. It's where he met his disciples, it's where he called his disciples, it's where he told his disciples to go back to after his resurrection in order to meet him. This was the hub of Jesus' ministry, small fishing towns on the water, not dissimilar to Gig Harbor or Port Orchard. And so we thought it'd be fun for the month of July to think about what can we learn? How can we identify with Jesus and his disciples in this? We live in small communities on the water. What can we learn about Jesus' interactions with his disciples on the water? So that's what we're doing this month, Life on the Water. And today we're going to be looking at a story from Mark chapter 6. It's going to be on the screens. You're welcome to grab your Bibles and uh, turn to it. But I actually, um, those, those kids who were here earlier, I need your help. So kids, could you come and come and walk right up here and, uh, and join me up on the, on the stage here? Because I need your help with something as we tell this story. So don't be, don't be afraid of me. I know I kind of look scary and I speak funny, but, uh, but I'm not. I'm about to put that mic stand on the floor. There we go. Come join me. Come right up here. 
okay? Come and, come and join me, because we're going to tell this story to the adults, because reading stories is good, but it can be more fun if we act them out, can't it? Come over here. Come and join me in the middle, yeah? More fun to act it out. Okay, so come and join me here. Stand right here, face, face the front. All right, and I need some helpers. I need someone to be Jesus. Who wants to be Jesus? You, your hand went up first. Okay, I'm sorry, she beat you, just ever so slightly. Why don't you come over here, okay, and you can be Jesus. And, and you guys over here, you're the disciples, all right? There's, there's one, two, th- five disciples. We're a little bit short, but you can use your imagination, all right? So here's how the story goes, okay? Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. So tell your disciples, get in the boat. Get in the boat. That was a good job. All right. So here's, here's our body of water. And you guys get... No, you're not going to get in it. Don't worry. Come, come over here and sit down on the floor like you're in a boat. Okay? And what you're going to do is you're going to sail on this body of water. All right? So pretend that you're, you're, you're like sailing on a boat and you're like pulling on ropes. And, you know, the, the, the sails are going up and the wind's blowing. Great. Just keep doing that. So keep going. Okay, and while they're doing that, Jesus dismissed the crowd. So can you tell the crowd to go away? Okay, because you've just fed 5,000 people. Do you think there's 5,000 people out there? No, probably not. There's maybe about 500. But still, tell them to go away. away. Yeah, don't actually go away, though. I want you to stay for the rest of the message. And after you'd taken leave of them, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. So we're going to come over here. This is our mountain. And you're going to come here, and I want you to pray. So it looks like you're praying, all right? Fantastic. That's really good. Right down on your knees. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. And Jesus saw, Jesus look up and look at the boat. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. The wind's so strong you have to take your sails down. So take your sails down because it's blowing you the wrong way. And now you need to start rowing. You've got to start rowing, okay, because you're rowing against the wind. So get, the sails are down. Now start rowing like this. Go like this. That's it, like you're rowing a boat. Fantastic. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., something like that, Jesus came to them. So Jesus, you're going to come to them. Um, Jesus came to them. It says walking on the sea. Okay. Uh, why don't you take your shoes off and, um, and we'll give this a go. We'll see if this works. Okay, you're Jesus. I want you to walk on the water, okay? Ready? Jesus, go. Go walk on the... Is it working? No, keep going. Keep trying. Okay, maybe it will happen. Is it... Oh, that's really disappointing. This was not, this was not what I had pictured. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll keep going. Um, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. You guys think she's a ghost, and, and you've got to cry out, okay? Scream, go, ah! Ah, that's it! That's fantastic. Okay, because they were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, here's what when you say, say, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Jesus got into the boat with them. So get into the boat with them. There's a towel. You can wipe your feet on the towel because you, you didn't walk on the water. Uh, and the wind ceased. Suddenly the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Can you guys look amazed and astounded? That was good. Whoa. 
For they did not... Yeah, Jesus is amazing. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Can you give these kids a round of applause? Say, well done. You can head back to your seats. Head back to your seats. Great job. Well done. So here we are. This is the scene. Jesus finishes feeding 5,000 unexpected guests. Anyone ever had unexpected guests and had to feed them? Anyone ever had 5,000 of them? No. Okay, five loaves and two fishes was all it took Jesus. So that's a high bar that's set. He finishes feeding them. He sends his disciples off to the other side of the lake. Now, the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, was about 11 miles long, eight miles wide. So kind of think about him sending his disciples from Gig Harbor over to maybe the port of Tacoma or something like that. So he sends them out, and they're out there, and he dismisses the crowds while they're gone. He goes up on the mountain to pray, and then the wind comes up. And it starts blowing and blowing and blowing. And it's blowing against the disciples, against the direction that Jesus has told them to go. And so they take their sails down, they start rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing. By now it's 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning. They've been rowing for hours, and they're getting nowhere. I don't know about you, but if, if I was one of those disciples, I'd be pretty ticked. Be pretty ticked right about now. Okay, Jesus has said, go to the other side. I'll catch up with you when you get over there. So you've got, you've got a meeting space. And it's not like you have a cell phone to call Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, by the way, well, you probably text him nowadays, but Jesus, we can't make it. We'll meet you back somewhere else. Okay, you've got to get there. He's told you to head over there. And you set off in the evening. You really just wanted to sleep. You've had a hard day of ministry. That's a lot of people to be helping out with the feeding of. And you are tired. And here you are, you're pulling on these oars against the wind. You're making painful headway. And it's the middle of the night. Man, I'd be pretty ticked if I was one of those disciples right about now. But as I thought about this, this image, this picture, I, I realized, you know what, this is not that dissimilar from most of our experience of being a follower of Jesus in this world. You see, Jesus has asked us to go in a certain direction. He's asked us to live a certain way. He's asked us to do certain things. And this world, the forces of this world, are pushing against us and trying to stop us and prevent us from living the way that Jesus wants us and desires for us to live. And sometimes that can be absolutely exhausting. We can lose sleep over it. We can be at the end of our rope. We can be anxious, depressed, terrified, unsure that we're ever going to amount to what Jesus has called us to. I remember when we were in England for our little family vacation that turned into a rather unexpected two-month stay last year. Those of you who, who weren't here at the time won't know the story, but my, my wife and my kids and I, we went to England on a vacation and we had to renew our US visa while we were there, but it got denied. Um, we, we were sure that Gig Harbor was where God had called us, that this was where he wanted us to be, that that was, that was where we were, were supposed to be heading to. And yet we had met opposition in that. This opposition wasn't the wind like it was for the disciples, it was the Department of State. And the Department of State stood in the way of us getting to where we felt called to be. And honestly, 
we became exhausted and weary of day after day after day trying to figure out how do we solve this? How do we fix this? Who do we speak to? What evidence do we need? What do we need to do here, here, here? And we're, it's like we're rowing and rowing and rowing against a headwind and we're getting nowhere. We just wanted some rest. You know, maybe you're not in a situation like that where your visa's been denied, but maybe you, you're in a different situation where, where you, you feel that same thing in your life. God's called you to something or called you to live a certain way and, and you're facing opposition against that. Maybe God's called you at this time to be single and actually the forces of this world are really pushing against that and making it hard. Maybe he's called you to be married and the forces of this world are pushing against you and making that hard. Okay? Maybe, maybe he's called you to love a certain friend who's going through a hard time. And it's really hard to love them at the moment because they're bitter and they're angry and they're resentful even when you're showing them love. Maybe right now you're going through a sickness or a disease and it's just really hard to believe that God still loves you and is for you in the midst of it. I, I don't know where you are all at. God knows where you're at. But I, I think in a room this size, there are gonna be people who are like the disciples in that boat who feel exhausted. They feel like they've got a destination, that Jesus is sending them somewhere, he's called them to go somewhere, and they're battling against the headwinds. And they're absolutely exhausted. And if you're there, I want you to know that you're in good company, because that's where the disciples were. And Jesus is about to do something amazing in the midst of their darkest hour. In the middle of the night, there comes to the disciples this figure walking on the water. And these disciples, they're they're hardened fishermen, right? Many of them, they know what this figure is because they know the stories, right? The souls of the departed inhabit the Sea of Galilee. It's a former fisherman from the past coming back to haunt them in the middle of the night. And so they're terrified. They start screaming out and crying out, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. But this was no ghost. This was no ghost. This was God. This was God showing them who he really is in the midst of their biggest struggle. Do you know, sometimes, sometimes in the midst of our biggest struggles, God shows up in the most unexpected ways. And that was what was happening here with the disciples. As they're making painful headway against the wind, God shows up and reveals himself to them in the most remarkable way. God reveals to them who he is. And God is Jesus in the flesh. That is what God is doing in this moment. He is showing them that this man they've been following around, this this man who's been teaching the multitudes, who's been healing the sick, who's been preaching about the good news of the kingdom of God, this man that they've been following around isn't just a teacher. He isn't just a healer. He isn't just a prophet. But this man is God himself in the flesh come to rescue and redeem this world that have rejected him. And when God reveals himself to his disciples in this way, the storm is calmed and he takes them safely to the other side. So I believe this passage is, is making, making a really important point about who Jesus is. And I see it in three different ways. The first way I see it is in Jesus' power 
And if you haven't guessed by now, all three of these ways begin with the letter P. Jesus walks on the water. Okay? This is not normal. I don't know if you guys have tried doing this. It generally doesn't work out for me. Even the disciples knew this wasn't normal. I mean, they resorted to a supernatural explanation. They couldn't fathom how this person coming to them could be doing so naturally. And they weren't by the, by the side of the sea. They were out in the middle. This wasn't Jesus walking on a sandbank that was a few inches below the water. No, the disciples who were hardened fishermen knew this was not normal behavior. This was something extraordinary. And as Jesus is doing this, as he is walking on the water, he is making a claim about who he is. You see, these fishermen, these disciples grew up in a culture that was occupied by the Romans. And in Roman mythology, there was a god of the sea. And the god of the sea was called Neptune. Anyone ever watched The Little Mermaid? Yeah, that's Ariel's dad, all right? Neptune. Okay? He was the God of the sea, and he was one of the most powerful gods that existed. And so for Jesus to come to them walking on the sea was to make a claim that he was more powerful than the God of the sea, that he was more powerful than one of the most powerful gods that existed. In fact, it was a claim to be the one true God. When we were in England and we were facing our our visa difficulties, we saw Jesus' power show up. Like I said, we weren't facing a wind or a storm, but we were facing the Department of State. And we weren't facing the God of the sea, but, but it did feel like we were facing a God of visas. That they had power to dictate the rest of our life. And as we're facing this, we began to pray you began to pray. And as we've discovered in recent months, people we don't even know began to pray. I mean, I was down at a conference in Phoenix and I had someone I never met come up to me and say, I was praying for you. And we were praying in the name of Jesus that he would make a way, that his power would win out over the powers of this world. And when it looked dark, when it looked bleak, when we were told there's no chance of appeal, there's no chance of overturning this verdict, we believed. And Jesus came through because he is more powerful than any of the powers of this world because Jesus is God in the flesh. And he revealed his power to us in the midst of our darkest hour so that we would know that he is God and he has power over this world. That's the first thing I see in this text. Jesus' power shows us that Jesus is God. The second thing that I see is a little bit more subtle. It's Jesus' passing by. Passing by. You know, in in this passage, Mark, who's writing, says that Jesus meant to pass by them. Jesus meant to pass by them. As I began reading this, this story and grappling with it, I started to go, what on earth does that mean? Like, why would Jesus want to just pass by them? He can see they're in difficulty. He can see they're in trouble. Why would he just walk on by? Surely he would have meant to get in the boat and to rescue them. But yet he meant to pass by them. 
And then this week, I was reading my Bible in One Year. I love this, this app that I use, the Bible in One Year. It's absolutely fantastic. If you, if you don't uh, read the Bible on a daily basis, you've struggled with that, this app is so good. And if you don't like reading it, you can listen to it in your car, and it's got commentary on the verses. And every day I walk away inspired and invigorated and ready to start my day. So download that app if you don't. But I was reading it this week and got to a passage in the Old Testament. That's the first two-thirds of the Bible about a man named Elijah. Elijah lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and he was a prophet to God's people. He spoke God's word to God's people. And there was a point in Elijah's ministry where he was really depressed. He took himself off to a mountain and he hid in a cave because he just didn't want anyone to be around him. He was in his darkest hour. And God met him out there on that mountain. God appeared to him and God said to him, come outside. And these are the words, these are the words that he said, for the Lord is about to pass by. For the Lord is about to pass by. It's those same two words that Mark uses in this passage. And this isn't the only time this happens in the Bible. Almost the same thing happens to Moses, who lived hundreds of years before Elijah. God revealed himself to him, and it says he passed by him. And I started to realize, you know what? This language of passing by, it isn't just about Jesus passing by the boat and heading to the other side. This is very specific language intended for us to realize that in this moment, Jesus is showing the disciples who he is. In the midst of their darkest hour, he is showing them that he is the one true God. Just like in the midst of Moses' darkest hour and Elijah's darkest hour, the Lord appeared to them and passed by them. Jesus is doing the same thing to his disciples so that they may know that he is Lord of all. I'm going to invite up a friend who's got a story of Jesus passing by and revealing himself to her in the midst of a a dark time. This is Teresa Gomez. Would you welcome Teresa? She's going to share a little bit of her story. It's on. Yep. So, Teresa, thanks for being willing to to share. And um, you... You didn't grow up around here. You grew up somewhere else. And tell me, tell me a little bit about what your life was like growing up. Where, where did you grow up initially? Okay. So I grew up in Groves, Texas, nicknamed the armpit of Texas, Just great. Um, I come from a home of four sisters, three sisters that I live with, and then two other siblings here in Washington and one sibling in Mexico. So really big family. And I would call it a broken home. My dad was never really around because he was mostly either for the first beginning years of my life, he was in the military and working in a prison. And so he wasn't really around. And my mom was there, but not really there. So to me, my uncle was my dad. He was my best friend, the person I could count on. And when I was eight years old, he passed away. And I didn't know, like, passing away meant, like, oh, I'm never going to see you again. I thought I was like, oh, he went on vacation. He'll be back eventually. It's not what it means. And so when I was eight years old, I didn't realize he was gone until I was 10, and it had been two years that he hadn't came to see us. And I was like, okay, well, where is he? And my mom had to sit down and explain to me, well, he's gone. And that's when I would say depression hit because... 
it was like my real dad wasn't there. My, the person I considered my dad was not there. And it just hit, and I had like a feeling of hopelessness, like not wanting to continue anymore. Just, okay, so what do I do now? And this went on for, for a number of years, kind of all through your teenage years, it, right? It comes on and off. There's some days, like, even to today, there's some days where I'm just like, okay, can't do this, but you're gonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but something changed. Okay. You know, what, what happened? You're up here now, it, like, your story's taking a different turn. So I have a sister and a brother that live up here, Crystalline and Joey. And... Joey had a layover in, he's a pilot, but he had a layover in Houston for a day. He got off of his flight, rented a truck, drove two hours from Houston to my small little hometown, and he came to visit us, because I really didn't know Joey and Crystalline. I knew of them, but I really didn't know them up until four years ago when we started coming up for summers, at least once or twice a week, we would come up and just hang out, and it was super fun. Well, Joey got there, and he was like, well, I also have a little sister. Remember to mention that. Okay. Have a little sister, and we all went to Starbucks because they're in love with coffee. I personally can't stand coffee. (laughs) But we all went to Starbucks, and we sat in the Starbucks parking lot for a good two hours just talking about what was going on. And in that moment in my life, it was that moment where I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm hopeless. I, I don't know what to do anymore. And in the truck, he, get, he said, well, move to Washington. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. Because I was in a bad relationship. And I was like, okay, this guy loves me. We're going to be together forever. Not true. <laughs> but Joey was like, okay, well, if you ever want to move up, there's always a chance. And I was like, okay. And I cut things off with a lot of friends and a lot of toxic people in my life. And I texted him one day, and I was like, I want to move to Washington. And he goes, cool, here's your plane ticket. And he did it in a week. (laughs) He gave me a week to get my life together and just move up here. And ever since then, since March 5th, I've been in Gig Harbor. Yeah. And when you were, so so you grew up in, like, your family's loosely Catholic, and you kind of went to church. C&E. So Christmas and Easter, right? Okay. And, um... Uh, I know there's a few of you out there. Um, we love you. Uh, but you came to Washington, and uh, Joey, he's married to Julie, and uh, they, they said to you, we're going to church. Yeah, so I never really went to church. When I was a little girl, I was, like, forced to go to church, and I never really understood. So when I came up here, well, Julie worked here. She was like, we're going to this thing called Saturday night. I was like, okay, have fun. You guys go ahead. I'm just going to stay home. She's like, no, you're going to come with us. I was like, mm, okay, I guess I will. Like, I have no other choice. And I started coming, and every time I would come, I just kind of felt whole. And then I would, like, randomly start crying during worship, just, like, in the middle of songs, and I would, like, look over, and nobody else was crying. And I was like, okay, guys, this isn't normal. Please tell me what's going on. And I think it took about four times coming but I was just like, okay, I feel whole, so please tell me what's going on. Mm, wow. So luckily, I have Julie that lives with me, and I would sit her down, and we would just talk, and she would explain like things that are happening in wow. the overwhelming love. Wow, that's amazing. And so you you experienced that on a Saturday night, and then you then you came to Alpha, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I went to Alpha. Alpha's yeah. great, y'all. Y'all should totally do it. 
But I went to Alpha, and it started a couple of months ago, and it's just a safe space where you can ask any questions you have. Because my question was always, how do I pray? Like, I'm sitting in my room, and I'm talking to this dude that's never around, and I look weird when I talk to myself. So someone help. <laughs> so going there, it was just a really safe space, allowing me to ask questions of, so how do I read the Bible, or how do I pray, or how do I know this guy is real because I've struggled in points in my life where I was just like it was hard to find redemption in the things that he would do but now I know that I just let go and let God awesome awesome and, and today's a big day for you right oh, what's yeah. what's happening I'm this afternoon yeah today. awesome can we say thank you to Teresa You know, Teresa was there and, and she was in the midst of struggles. She was in a, a dark place. And Jesus passed by her. She experienced who Jesus was. He was the God who could heal her and make her whole. And now her life is on a different trajectory than it was before. So in this passage, we see that with the disciples. We see Jesus revealing himself to them by his, by his power, revealing that he's God, revealing by his passing by that he's God, and lastly, revealing by his pronouncement that he is, that he is God. Pronouncement. Jesus says these words, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, these could just simply be like, do not fear. That, that could be what Jesus is, is, is saying purely, that alone, and he is saying that. I once heard someone say that do not fear appears in the Bible 365 times so that there's one for every day of the year. Isn't that a nice sentiment? Yeah, it's a lie. It's about 120, maximum 130 times. So that's like one in every three days you can be not afraid and then the other two days, you, you could, well, you're on your own. But Jesus says to them, do not fear, but he also says these words. It is I. Now, in the original Greek that the New Testament, that Mark's gospel was written in, there's two words that are used there, and those Greek words are ego, ami. Everyone say, ego, ami. Fantastic. These two words literally mean I am. And they're significant because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, these are the two words that are used by God when he reveals who he is. When he says, this is my name, he uses those two words, ego, ami. And so when Jesus uses those words, he is identifying himself with the God of all creation, with the Lord of the universe. And he is saying that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves, I am. I am here. I am whole. I am unmoved. I am unshaken. I am on top of the water. I am. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that's going to be new for anyone who, pretty much new for, for everyone, but if you came to day camp, you probably sung it five or six times already this week. So you can sing it again. And it's called... I am. And the lyrics to the chorus are, I am holding on to you. I am holding on to you. In the middle of the storm, I am holding on. I am. And we could take these at face value. 
as a declaration that in the midst of what's going on in our life, we're holding on to God. But I wonder if David Crowder, who wrote this song, was intending us to see something a little bit deeper. Maybe like Jesus was intending for his disciples to see. That maybe these aren't just words that we sing to God, but maybe they're words making a declaration about God, who is the I am, and what he is doing to you. That God, who is the I am, is holding on to you in the middle of the storm. Whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, that he is holding on to you. Here's a funny thing about this story. It it finishes in the last couple of verses by saying these words. The disciples were utterly astounded for they did not understand. For they did not understand. Despite all that Jesus had shown them, despite showing them his power, despite showing them his passing by and, and claiming to be God, despite his pronouncement, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Despite all of that, they still didn't understand who he was. And do you know that gives me hope? That if you're in a place where you're saying, God, I just don't understand what's going on. I don't understand how this is all hanging together. This doesn't make sense. That there is still hope for you because these men went on to change the course of this world. And maybe you're here today And you're a bit like those disciples in the sense of you really don't understand who this Jesus is. And you're here and you're like, I'm not sure about this Christian stuff and uh, Jesus and singing songs and hand actions. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you came. And come back next week because we're going to talk about Jesus again. Because I believe Jesus is God and he can change your life. And I want you to have the opportunity to investigate him. But maybe you're here today and actually it's beginning to crystallize for the first time. And you're going, oh my goodness, this Jesus guy, this is real. This can make a difference in my life. And maybe today, God is revealing who he is to you. And I want to invite you, would, would you respond to God? Would you, would you respond to him and say, God, I believe. Would you, would you be willing to maybe pray to him? So let's do that now. Why don't, why don't we all pray? And if, if, uh, if, if you're here... And, and, and you are in a place where God is, is revealing who he is to you in the person of Jesus. And you're sensing that. You're going, oh my goodness, Jesus is God. I want to invite you to pray these words. Just silently in your heart. Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. Thank you that in the midst of whatever is going on in my life, you are showing who you are to me. I'm sorry for not believing. I'm sorry for not following. And I come to you now and I want to follow you. I want to go where you go. Would you send your spirit to live in me and be with me always that I may have the power to follow you? As we continue to pray, maybe there are some of you here who really identified with being in a storm in your life. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a hard relationship, a marriage, or whatever it is, a difficult job that you're working, or a sickness. So you're in the midst of that storm, and you want to know Jesus' power, Jesus' presence as he passes by. 
And Jesus' pronouncement, take heart at his eye, do not be afraid. And you need that right now. If that's you, I want to invite you, just, just maybe put your, put your hands out in front of you as if you're willing and open to receive that. And let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would show yourself to these men and women who are putting their hands out and who are offering themselves to you. Would you minister to them in the midst of the storms of their life? Would you be present to them? Would your power be realized in their situation? Would you have your way? And God, would they take heart, have courage, and not fear, because you are the great I am. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.